I've been uh, take. I started a couple of weeks ago taking a uh, an online course that's uh, given through Global Awakening on uh, the prophetic, and so I've really been trying to kind of focus on that a little bit more. And uh, so this morning, I actually during worship, I sat down because I started to sort of asking God for something, and uh, so I got words from for a couple of people. So joy. I believe what the Lord would tell you is the days of prosperity are upon you. <laughs> now, that was for you, but I'm telling you, you need to share it with him. <laughs> and uh, what, I thought, what I thought I heard the Lord saying to you was, uh, I have heard the cries and the desires of your heart. So if that means something to you. And then a, a word that was just kind of a general one was, would you surrender it all to me? So I don't know who that's for, but um, all of us, yeah, probably. Um, all right. Oh, I don't have the little clicker with me. Is it around back here? Ah, there it is. All right, um, in case you were not aware, today uh, is actually Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so uh, I've got a little a video for you to uh, watch and then I've got something to talk about it for a moment. God is a creator of life. A Bible says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I stepped you apart. Jeremiah 1.5 For you were created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works is wonderful. I know that full well. My plan was not hidden from you, but now it's made in a secret place. And that it's rolling together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days were ordained for me, for it's written in your book, for one of them came to be. John 139. 13 from 16. For I know the parents I have for you, cares the Lord. Parents prepared for you, for not to harm you. Parents to give you hope in the future. Jeremiah 29 11. I just <clears throat> want to take a moment to sort of underscore the importance of this. Since 1973, which was the year that Roe v. Wade was enacted, there have been over 59 million abortions performed in the United States. Since that time as well, um, 18 million of those have been black babies. 
Now, what you have to understand is that's 30% of the total, and yet blacks are 13% of our population. So that means we are killing our black children at a, at a rate of roughly three times that of the rest of the population. And so far this year, 61,442 abortions have been done in the U.S. Now, of those 596, which is not even 1%, were the result of rape or incest. That means the rest of them were voluntary. See, our culture likes to euphemize this massacre under the name of a woman's right to choose. But the real issue is not choice, it's the origin of life. And according to Acts 17.25, God is the one who gives life and breath to everything. Each life has a purpose and worth beyond measure because he or she was lovingly created by our Heavenly Father. And it is up to you to defend the powerless and to speak for those who have no voice. And so remember this as we go forth from here. But I, I thought it was important to at least speak to this for a moment. Um, because it is a... Uh, it's just something, you know, this, this idea of life has so gotten turned around in our culture that I think from time to time we need a reminder of what it really is. Um, and so that, that's all I'm going to say about it. So let's move on to our topic today, which is avoiding worry in a world of uncertainty. <clears throat> now, I will start off by talking about this gentleman. His name is Scott Stossel. Now, Scott is a Harvard graduate, and he's the editor of The Atlantic Magazine. And he wrote an article for that publication, and in fact, he wrote an entire book about this, but uh, he just wrote one article uh, for the magazine where he shares openly about his lifelong attempts to deal with the anguish of worry and anxiety. Now, he says from an early age, he's been what he calls a twitchy bundle of phobias, fears, and neuroses. He writes, even when not actively afflicted by acute episodes of anxiety, I am buffeted by worry. Now, here's what he has tried to deal with his anxiety. You ready? Individual psychotherapy, three decades of it, family therapy, group therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, rational emotive behavior therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, <laughs> hypnosis, Meditation, role-playing, introceptive exposure therapy, in vivo exposure therapy, self-help workbooks, massage therapy, prayer, acupuncture, yoga, stoic philosophy, and audio tapes he ordered off late-night TV infomercial. But that's not all. He's tried medication. He says lots of medication. Thorazine. Imipramine, Dicipramine, Chlorpheniramine, <laughs> Nardil, Buspar, Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil, Welbutin, Effexor, Celexa, Lexapro, Cymbalta, Luvox, Trazodon, Levoxyl, uh, Indorol, 
Transine, Syrac, Centrax, St. John's Wort, Zolpidem, Valium, Librium, Ativan, Xanax, Clonopin. Also, beer, wine, gin, bourbon, vodka, and scotch. <laughs> Reminds me of uh, Justin Timberlake's song. He says, I've tried Jack, I've tried Jim, I've tried all of their friends. <laughs> but I can't drink you away. <laughs> Now, here's what he said has worked out of that entire list. Nothing. Nothing. None of that. Now, I, I honestly, truly, earnestly, sincerely hope that none of you can relate to Scott's story. Um, I know I certainly can't. But I'm also not immune to bouts of anxiety and worry. Um, oh, that reminds me of something. I need to fix this. <laughs> One thing that is a consistent problem for me is that I am a perfectionist. <laughs> now, my wife blames it on my German heritage. Um, but, you know, in the present, I worry that I want to do everything perfectly. If something's in the future, I worry that I won't do it perfectly. And if something was in the past, I worry that I didn't do it perfectly. Now, I, as I said, I expect that nobody here is in Scott's league when it comes to worry. But there are probably people here like me where there is something, and maybe multiple somethings, that you worry about. Now, I found this was kind of interesting. It's a British newspaper. It's now, it started out as a, uh, um, an actual paper. It was a tabloid for a while, and then went to become just strictly an online paper. But it's called The Independent. And they asked 2,000 people, I do not know what age. That would enlighten this a little bit further, but just 2,000 people what they worried about. And so here is the top 20. And so I want to see just kind of where what you worry about fits in with what they worried about. So they worried about where they lived and the crime levels. They worried about their pet's health. They worried if their fashion sense was any good. <laughs> That's you? Okay, good. Well, we've got Fran pegged. They worried about meeting their work targets or goals. They worried about whether they're a good parent or if they're raising their kids right. So that was the first five. Next we have, they worried about a friend or a family member that they've had some sort of a falling out with. Whether or not maybe that relationship can be prepared. They, whether, they worry if they'll find the right partner or if their current partner is the right partner. <laughs> Hopefully none of the married people in here are raising their hands on that one. Um, they worry about whether their partner still loves them. They worry whether or not they're attractive. Uh, they worry that they need to find a new job. Okay, so then we have 10. Oh, come on. There we go. They worry because they seem to be generally unhappy all the time. Uh, they worry about paying rent or mortgage, about their physique, about wrinkles or aging appearance. 
job security. Uh, finance or credit card debt. Your diet. <coughs> low energy levels. Savings, if you have enough savings, maybe you have some sort of a financial future. And what do you think the number one most often stated worry was? You have money? Is there life after death? If you're liked? No. Getting old. <laughs> I find it just incredibly ironic that of all of the things on the list, the, the one thing that you absolutely cannot do a thing about <laughs> is the top item of worry. You know, you're going to get old. There's not a fix for it. You can't, you know, so, but that's what everybody worries about. Now, keep in mind, this is only the top 20. So who knows what would show up on this list if we expanded it to 50, perhaps, right? And yet, one of the most common commands in our Bible is fear not. Still, we have this overwhelming anxiety and worry, even depression, that sort of permeate our whole world. And, you know, Christians are not immune to it. And so the thing is that when life gives us these kinds of um, serious worries about serious topics, if we start to place our hope in earthly things, that's a pretty dangerous place to be. Um, and I think, you know, it's pretty safe to say that Scott, from our opening story, um, has pretty much run the table of earthly solutions to his worry and anxiety problems. I, I don't know if anybody could add anything. I was kind of watching my nurses in here as I was going through that list of drugs. <laughs> Their eyes are getting bigger and bigger. Um, so, you know, we have to understand that jobs, relationships, wealth, and contentment are all fleeting, right? Ultimately, they're fleeting. And so we have got to put our faith in something that's not fleeting. Right? And that is the vast love of a Heavenly Father. And that's exactly what Jesus was telling this crowd that was gathered for his uh, Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to just look at a part of that today. So if you uh, have a Bible and want to turn, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 25 through 34. We're going to sort of take a look at what God has to say about worry, and then uh, explore that a little bit afterwards. So, kind of looks like a bomb went off right here in the middle of the church. Anton <laughs> steps up. a <laughs> boy. It is. It is. All right. So, we're going to start Verse 25 starts out, therefore, and we're going to stop there, okay? Because whenever you see therefore in the Bible, what does that tell you? It means that something came before it, right, that's probably important. So we're going to, just as a review, we're going to kind of talk a little bit 
about what was before this because it adds some texture uh, and some context to what follows it. And so in the roughly six verses that immediately precede this, this nine or so that we're going to look at, what I think Jesus is calling those folks on, um, that were there with him to is the idea, or he's calling them to think before he calls them to actual action. Okay, So what he's doing is he's inviting us and all of them to really look very clearly and coolly at all of the alternatives that are before us and then to weigh them before we make a decision. So one of the things he asks them is, you know, do you want to accumulate treasure? And then he says, well, which of the two possibilities is more durable? Treasure on earth or treasure in heaven? Then he asks, you know, do we wish to be free and purposeful in our movements? And so he says, well, then what must our eyes be like to facilitate this, either full of light or full of darkness? And finally, he asks them, you know, do, do you wish to serve the best masters? Now I'm paraphrasing, right? So this is not actual uh, words from Jesus, but this is, what, this is the essence of what he is saying. Do we wish to serve the best master? Well, then we've got to consider which master is more worthy of our devotion, God or money. So he's presented us with those choices, and he says, so it's only when we've kind of grasped with our mind, you know, the comparative durability of the two treasures, one being corruptible, one being incorruptible, the comparative usefulness of the two eye conditions, light and darkness, and the comparative worth of the two masters, God and money, that we're ready to make a choice. And, and then, once we have made that choice, and hopefully it's for heavenly treasure, it's for light, and it's for God as a master, then Jesus is going to tell us how we're to go on and behave. So in other words, the basic choice that you're going to make as to which of these, which of these two ways that you're going to go uh, is going to affect the attitude with which you then hear and obey the following uh, set of scriptures, the, the rest of what he's going to teach. I know it sounds heretical, but is anybody else hot? Yeah. Could we maybe turn the AC on? I know it's January, but... I'm about to burn up. I figured if nobody else was, it was just the Holy Spirit. <laughs> All right. So let's go on. So after therefore, he says, so therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Okay. So you could really sort of break down Jesus' teaching right there into two words. Stop worrying. <laughs> you know, the, the rhetorical question that he's asking them sort of implies if God is the provider of life and God is the provider of the body, will he not also provide for their, its clothing and its sustenance? So that's, he's, you know, he's sort of asking this as a rhetorical question. And then he goes on. In verse 26 he says, 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now what I think is important to sort of understand out of this, because it's not obvious, but I think it's sort of underneath this text in a sense as we dig through it, Jesus is not advocating just sitting back and waiting lazily on God to do everything for us, okay? He's, he says that we need to avoid anxiety as we take responsibility for obtaining it, okay? Um, you know, this is, uh, this is not sort of an all-you-need-is-prayer theology. You know, just let's just pray. Um, it's asking God to aid in our own effort. You know, it's like I can remember telling Jarrett, it's about praying that you do well on a test, but it's about studying for the test too, right? You know, you can't just say, well, you know, I got an F, but Dad, I prayed. Now, that never happened, but uh, <laughs> you get the point, right? You, you can't just sit there. It's, I think the other example is always the, you know, the person that prays to win the lottery, and, you know, they pray and they pray and they pray. And finally, one day, they get this word from God and God says, buy a ticket. <laughs> There's a part that we have to do that coincides with what God's going to do. Okay. Now, this is, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is the, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation is being celebrated during 2017. And so there's a lot of things that are honoring you know, really what happened, and in particular Martin Luther, who really started the whole thing. And he had a really, really wonderful quote uh, about this particular verse that I want to read you because I thought it was so, uh, so interesting. Luther said, you see, he is making the birds our schoolmasters and teachers. It is a great and abiding disgrace to us that in, gos that in the gospel, a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and a preacher to the wisest of men. Whenever you listen to a nightingale, therefore, you are listening to an excellent preacher. It is as if he were saying, I prefer to be in the Lord's kitchen. He has made heaven and earth, and he himself is the cook and host. Every day he feeds and nourishes innumerable little birds out of his hand. I just thought that was kind of charming. All right, moving on. Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Isn't it amazing that 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew what was going to be number one on that list? He's addressing it right here. Who can add an hour to your lifespan by worrying about getting older? <laughs> Pretty crazy if you break it down and think about it like that. He's moving away from sort of this specific example of food and clothing to this broader picture of anxiety in general. And he's really tr showing us, I think, just how utterly futile it is. In effect, he's saying, you know, if you try to take your basic provision into your own in hands, you will find that you do not have power over life and death. 
Only God has this power, and he will sustain you as long as his plan intends to. So why worry? Verse 28 and 29. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So verse 30 is kind of a conditional statement. It's assuming the truth of what he is saying. So it could be just as easily translated since that's how God clothes the grass of the field. Right? And this qualifying phrase, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, really is emphasizing just how worthless the grass is. Right? I mean, it's nothing. And the whole point, obviously, is that if God cares about something that is so worthless, that it's something that has so little value, he will certainly care even more for those of us who are of such great value to him. And, you know, it's not only, I think, an exhortation to trust God more. But it's also just a great affirmation of how, how worthy we are in his eyes. Now, these words, you have little faith, I think, bear mentioning as well. And if you want to translate that literally, the way it would be literally translated from the Greek, it would say, little faith ones. And I think we tend to read it somewhat as a confrontational statement. But I think it really could also be looked at as sort of an endearing statement. You know, th this is, if you really look at it in context, Jesus is not scolding us. It's not a, you know, you have little faith said with that kind of, you know, of a sarcastic tone. But, you know, sort of think of this coaxing and reasoning and, and maybe even loving. You know, it's not a slap in the face. It's an arm around our shoulder. And he's saying, son, daughter, do you trust your father or not? And as he so often does, he wasn't belittling this group of people that was before him. He's encouraging them upward. Grow your faith. I understand you have little faith. Make it bigger. Increase. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? <coughs> For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he makes two more points here, I think, about anxiety. First, he's saying anxiety is downright pagan. Anxiety is the attitude of those who aren't part of the kingdom. Secondly, he's saying 
it's just completely unnecessary to worry about these things because God knows that you need them. And so if our life is not to be preoccupied with fretting about our needs, then what, where, where should our concern be placed? Well, he says it's in his kingdom and in his righteousness. And those two terms are pretty much almost synonymous. Because, you know, the kingdom means God's sovereign rule and reign. Um, it's not, we've talked about this before, kingdom in this sense is not a place. Right? We tend to think of kingdoms as a place. You know, Great Britain uh, or England is a, you know, a kingdom. Right? And it's a physical location. But what kingdom really means in this context is God's rule and reign. So wherever God's rule and reign stretches, that's his kingdom. So it's not limited to any kind of a physical location. <clears throat> but it's not only his kingdom on earth, it's his kingdom that is sort of manifested through our life and our behavior, right? So the kingdom is in here as well as out there. And so if we're to, to, uh, to really make sure that his righteousness is done here on earth, as it is in heaven, then we need to be seekers of his kingdom. And so finally, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now see, I had really never thought about it like this, but I think this is so true. All worry is about tomorrow. Whether it's food or clothing or anything else. But all worry is experienced today. Whenever we're anxious, you know, we're upset in the present about something that's going to happen in the future. And we feel these things so acutely sometimes, you know? It's just, it's so, you know, so consuming, I guess, is maybe the word. But you know, there's a good chance they won't even be fulfilled. You know, there's, you'll hear people say, well, you know, don't worry, it may never happen. Well, that's, I, I realize that's not a very sympathetic statement, but that doesn't make it any less true. It's all fantasy. Fears may be liars, and they often are. I would say many worries, and perhaps even most worries, don't ever occur. And so, you know, we spend all of this time worrying about an event that's not even scheduled to happen anywhere. So, worry is a waste of time, of thought, of energy. And what Jesus is saying here is, is we've got to learn to live a day at a time. It's okay to plan for the future. He's not saying don't plan. He's saying don't worry about it. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
So why worry about tomorrow? Why anticipate that we're going to have this? He's telling us what's going on today is enough. That's pretty much what I've designed you to deal with. Just focus on that, and then tomorrow will come and you can deal with it. And see, this is the sort of the revelatory part. If you think about it, if you, if you start worrying about everything, are you not doubling your fear? Because if your fear doesn't materialize, then you've worried about nothing. And if it does materialize, eventually, then you've worried twice instead of only once, like you would on the day that, you know, is actually where, you know, Jesus says, there's enough trouble today, don't worry about tomorrow. But if you're worrying about today, tomorrow, that's not right. Yesterday. If you're worrying about, yeah, tomorrow, today, <laughs> then you're doubling up on your worry. So the whole thing is just, a, a huge waste of time and energy. And honestly, in both cases, it's foolish. So here's sort of what I would like for you to sort of remember. And here's what I think worrying really is. Worrying is a futile attempt to maintain a false sense of control over our lives. Right? You know, it's, it all goes back to we just, we cannot let go of things. We just have to kind of continue, you know, this, this whole worrying thing really, in a sense, indicates that we're not trusting. We're still trying to control everything that's going on. And I mean, Scripture tells us in a lot of places that's not really our job. And so... A way to remember this, I think, would be this. The kingdom of God is a worry-free environment. <laughs> right? We go to a lot of places. I mean, it's probably, it's almost a given now. But you used to see, you know, signs up, this is a smoke-free environment, you know, where you can't, you're not allowed to smoke. Well, the kingdom of God is a worry-free environment. You're not allowed to worry here. We're supposed to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. So I think it's important to remind ourselves of some of those basic kingdom realities. How does a person find God's righteousness that characterizes... That's interesting. Stay. Now Jesus started out this sermon by pointing out that we are utterly spiritually bankrupt. We have no righteousness of our own. That's just the way it is. That's the result of Adam making a bad choice that carries on down through us. And no matter how good we try to be, actions, even our best attitudes, we still can't procure righteousness. It comes as a gift. It's a gift that God gives us through faith. So that's why everything has got to begin with seeking the kingdom and righteousness. And it doesn't just stop with starting there. We've got to keep on doing that. 
And it's not to seek it necessarily in the sense of looking for something that's hidden somehow. What we're to look for is every opportunity to expand the kingdom more fully. Because he's already established this rule and reign in our lives and in the world. And it's in anticipation of a day when believers are going to reign with him because his kingdom is now fully present. But we're not there yet. And so we have got to look for every opportunity that we can to expand that not only in our own lives, but in the world in which we interact. And see, you know, we let money and all these other things distract us so often from this purpose, the seeking first of his kingdom. And this, this phrase that, that shows up three times in, in these verses, or this, this phrase, all these things, Right, you remember? Said this has been several of these passages, all these things. And we might even imagine that the Jew, Jesus is using this phrase a little bit disparagingly. And it, it's not to belittle the necessity of basic, um, or excuse me, to belittle the importance of basic necessities. But it's really to kind of place them at the back of, of someone's mind. You know, it's like the kingdom is here and all these things are back here. And that's the way it needs to be. You know, that if we will seek, keep this front and center, this takes care of itself. You see, all these things are what the pagans scrambled after. And all these things are thoroughly known by your father. And all these things will fall into place when we put God's kingdom and God's righteousness in its proper place. Now, I was sort of thinking about what could I, sort of a challenge could I issue all of you in this, in, in this regard. And, uh, you know, I thought about, well, I could ask everyone here to to imagine yourself living in a worry-free world, but I kind of doubted any of us could do that, me, myself included. You know, that's just sort of not the way we're wired, I think. But I didn't want to give up, so I'm going to challenge you to try something, and I want you to just try it for a week, okay? Just a week. See how this goes. So starting right now through say next Saturday, I want you to do something. Every time that you start to worry about something, I want you to say, Lord, I believe the kingdom of God is a worry-free environment, and stop worrying. I want you to just actually say it out loud, okay? This is what's called practicing having a kingdom mentality. All right, we need to have a kingdom mindset. And so when we catch ourselves starting to worry about something that's far off in the future or whatever, um, Lord, I believe the kingdom of God is a worry-free environment. See, I, I think 
far too often when it comes to spiritual things, we place all or maybe at least most of the uh, work and the responsibility on God. Now, you know, to some extent that's okay because God did do the heavy lifting, right? He's the one that gave us this gift. He's the one that freed us from sin and imparted his righteousness to us so that we would be righteous. But God did his part. And then he wrote a book and said, okay, this is how you follow through on all that. And he filled it with good news and other spiritual wisdom as well. And then it becomes our turn. See, we've got to believe it by faith and we have to live it out by faith. And sometimes those things require teaching ourselves new habits or maybe even a new way of looking at the world. If you've taken the uh, School of Kingdom Ministry, the putty, the teacher, talks a lot about shifting our paradigm. You know, and a paradigm is nothing more than sort of the way we view something. And when you start to talk more in depth about the kingdom of God and living in the kingdom of God, it requires a paradigm shift, right? We, we stop thinking so much about the physical world and we start looking at it more from a spiritual perspective. And so what we want to do is we want to practice these things that will help us build that kingdom mindset and, and do it consciously until we begin to do it without even thinking about it. So once again, every time in the next week you catch yourself beginning to worry about something, say it and say it out loud if you can. I mean, if you're, you know, in the middle of work and it's going to be weird for you to say this out loud, say it under your breath, think it, but just the idea is get this in your head, Lord, I believe that your kingdom is a worry-free environment. It's more powerful if you can say it out loud. I, I don't fully understand why, I just know that it's true. I think it has something to do with the fact that when we speak, I mean, God spoke, right? And when God spoke, things happened. So we know that there's power in words, right? And we have, we have God inside of us. Jesus' spirit is united with our spirit, and we are now part of that. That's what Paul was talking about when he calls us part of the body of Christ. It wasn't just a metaphor. I believe he was speaking literally that from a spiritual sense, we are now part of the body of Christ. So we have Jesus in us, meaning that when we speak, Jesus is also speaking through us. And so if you will say that and you'll say it out loud and you will then hear yourself say it, you're getting that affirmation on multiple levels using multiple senses. All right, we're going to practice all together 
Lord, I believe the kingdom of God is a worry-free environment. Very good. Now try to remember to do that as we go throughout this week. And I would love to hear any stories that you come back with about how that maybe changed your week or had some impact on a particular issue that you were struggling with that you've now released. Um, so um, email me, text me, tell me next week, whatever works. But I would love to sort of hear some follow-up uh, as, you, as you practice this throughout the week. Might even send out an email or two reminding you that uh, to ask if you're doing it and um, remind you to do it. So, uh, worship team, if you would would return, please. Someone please turn off the lights. Andre, thank you. I was, as I was sort of praying and thinking about ministry time today, um, obviously I think worry would be a good place to focus it. And what I felt like God wants to do is that if you... Um, or somebody that is chronically afflicted by worry. And I, and I guess by that I mean, you know, it's just, it's sort of your, you know, you find yourself just, it's sort of like our, our poor Scott at the beginning. Maybe not to that level, but it's something that, you know, you just are constantly catching yourself, worrying about this, worrying about that, um, rather than just kind of living and enjoying life then I would love to, uh, either myself or someone from our prayer team, to pray for you about that. Um, let's nip that in the bud, as Barney Fife would say. <laughs> nip it, nip it, nip it. <laughs> let's get rid of that, right? That's not a good way to live. Hopefully you now understand, if you didn't already, that Jesus doesn't want us to live that way. So, if, if you believe that, you know, if you would label yourself a chronic worrier, and I, you know, and I'm not talking about something that comes up occasionally and you, you know, a once in a while thing. I'm, I'm talking about this is sort of just a normal part of your day. <laughs> then I'll, I'll ask you to come up front. Because I would like, to, uh, would like to pray for you. Mark, would you come up as well? Help me. Sally? So what I'm going to do is we're going to have John start to, uh, and the, the team start to play. And uh, this is going to sort of be our, 
um, our benediction or our dismissal as well. So what we like to do here is uh, we want to free uh, those of you that may need to go, desire to go, whatever, um, but also allow those who would like to stay uh, to stay as long as you want or need to. So we'll do a little blessing here, and then got then John and, and the team will start to play, and um, you can stay, you can leave, you can do whatever. Uh, if you need prayer for something other than worry, then feel free to come up as well. Uh, we don't want to just make that the only focus, because there are certainly other things if you need some, something physical is going on. Um, we want to pray for that too. So, Father, I just I thank you for, uh, for this day, for this gathering. Uh, most of all, I thank you for your words of encouragement in regards to this topic of worry. Lord, there are so many things that we catch ourselves worrying about. And you explain to us so simply and so beautifully how pointless it all is. And Father, I thank you for not holding our worry against us. Because it truly does say that perhaps we don't trust you like we should. So Lord, I just pray now that you would help all of us to trust you even more. That we would be able to trust you even with those things that concern us or that we catch ourselves worrying about cement in our own minds this idea that the kingdom of God is a worry-free environment. Bless each and every person here, Lord, as they, as they leave. Continue to remind them as they go about their week the futility of worry until we can make it a habit just to not do it anymore. And so I give you the praise and the glory for your words and for their meaning in our lives. Thank you for whatever you will choose to do in the time that we have left. Bless those who uh, will stay and bless those who need to go and keep them safe and let them have a, a wonderful week until we have the chance to be together again. I just give you all of the glory, Lord, all the thanks and praise. And I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.